0: Coming up this hour, we're joined by Judson University's sixth president, Dr. Gene Kroom. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm. We're on the home stretch of his vacation time. He'll be rejoining us tomorrow, so be sure to send him some love. But uh, in his absence, we've had a whole smattering of really wonderful, very special guest hosts. And before... We begin that conversation with my next guest host here, a couple of particulars. We're on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post articles, you can send us messages. If you have ideas for future shows or interviews, we would love to hear from you there. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, you're a repeat guest for a very good reason that I'm sure will become very clear to <laughs> all of our listeners. But let me just first say, Dr. Gene Krum, welcome back to the show, sir.
1: Thank you very much, Ian. I appreciate that. And uh, it's always nice to be invited back anywhere. So <laughs> tell me very, about it. <laughs> that's very kind of you. You've, you've had a really good run of guests, I've noticed lately, and uh, one or two have spoken at our chapel and so uh, here at Judson University. And so the only way I feel like I can keep up with such esteemed folks is to, you know, if, if I'm introducing myself to your audience, that they hadn't uh, heard me on the previous program, is that I am the proud recipient of uh, an honorary degree of Philosopher of Dijon at <laughs> Coupon University at the National Mustard Museum in Middleton, <laughs> Wisconsin. And uh, uh, I think that's the only way I can keep up with such esteemed guests that you've had. So thanks for taking a chance on me.
0: I wouldn't mind seeing photographic proof of that certificate that we can share with our audience sometime in the future. If that, if that exists somewhere, we, would, we wouldn't turn it down is what I'm saying.
1: I will post it on social media uh, as we are sharing what I'm sure <laughs> will be deep insights from this conversation. I I love like it. Didn't like that.
0: So, so obviously that's like the pinnacle of your achievement, but you also do some other things. Why, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about your role and uh, maybe a bit about your family and your background?
1: Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed and honored to be the president of Judson university. It's a fantastic uh, community. Uh, Christian university based in Elgin, Illinois at the campus of Rockford. If you're not familiar with us, we have programs that run across the educational spectrum from our rise program for students that are intellectually differently abled to doctoral programs. So mm. adults, uh, traditional learners, uh, it, it's a neat, rich Christian community that we have here. And, uh, my wife and I enjoy our roles as president and first lady a great deal. Um, I'm originally from Kentucky. I've had a very blessed higher education career and, um, that has, God has led me to this point. And so uh, I've dabbled in everything as we've talked about in in the past too, but I've always stayed grounded in my passion for teaching. I'm a third generation educator and now our daughter, Hmm. uh, Allie, is a fourth generation educator and our son G3 is is a junior here at Judson. So it is very much a family business.
0: That's phenomenal. And there's cards on the table, a couple of reasons that you and I, I think, get along. One, Judson is my alma mater. And every time that I'm there, Feels like home away from home. Two, you and I have served in Belize together on a, on a couple of trips. I think it's there that I actually learned of your love for Weird Al, which maybe will make an <laughs> appearance later in the show. But in in your adult career, have you ever had to navigate anything even remotely close to what we're going through right now?
1: No, not at <laughs> al- not at all. The, the, when you hear words like unprecedented and uh, yeah. once in a lifetime, I, this this truly is a a generational event. I mean, when you think about the pandemic in nineteen eighteen, I mean, uh, people went for decades talking about that moment in time. And um, when you study time and you look at Toynbee and some of the other historians, they talk about cycles of history. This is one of those blips on one of those cycles that mm. that mark a moment of time. Mm. Uh, and so, no, I think for generations to come, people will be talking about this moment for cultural reasons, for political reasons, social reasons, and and I hope. People will talk about this uh, for godly reasons. How uh, God moves through us and allows us to use this moment to share the lo- love of Christ and people because it's it's really hard to be content mm. in an age of discontentment when you have something like this that creates not only uh, health trauma but also economic trauma and right. and uh, emotional trauma and certainly spiritual trauma.
0: So tell me tell me a little bit more about what that looks like in your mind for these godly reasons we'll, we'll get into the particulars of like leading a university in a second but what what might that look like for someone who's listening and they're thinking yeah the economic and social reasons that we'll talk about this that makes sense to me but i'm i'm struggling to see what maybe the godly reasons are or i'm struggling with how i'm seeing churches or church leaders respond or not respond like in your mind what is that what is some of what that looks like
1: well for for me as i studied how christ calls us into into a, a life of faith is is and i'm eric littles one of my spiritual mentors and following mm-hmm. him and eric little had this amazing gift to surrender his life to christ mm. and moments like this help you understand the depth of what it means to surrender your life to christ because the things that we thought were important to us have now been altered or changed in meaningful ways. Mm. And so we either try to cling to those and make them what they were, but they'll never return to that point. Or we understand that that these are just things of this earth and we surrender our life to Christ. Mm. And in doing so, the context of what those things were, what they look like, what they shall be going forward, change. And that includes our relationships and our work and our calling. But most importantly, we understand where our hope lies and our hope lies and a God who loves us, knows us by name, and that if that God uh, has such infinite power like that, then then all we can do is surrender ourselves to God, walk in faith, and God will carry us through it.
0: That's great. I, I feel like people, especially if they've been a part of a church community or follow Jesus for a while, they've likely heard the word surrender a number of times. They know that it's like somewhere near the center of what this is all about, and yet in my very limited experience, it feels like, most of us, myself included, really struggled to fully surrender, either because the idea is like too abstract or at the end of the day, I'm like comfortable surrendering my sort of eternal reality. But when it comes to like me or my marriage or my finances or my job, well, that, I'm, I really want to hold on to that maybe tighter than I should. Why, why do you think it's so difficult for people to like really, truly, fully, to the degree that you're talking about, surrender their entire lives? Well, because
1: it's a practice, Um, Hmm. you know, over the last 20 to 30 years, at least in American society, lament has taken on uh, a much more meaningful practice in the life of a Christian believer. And Hmm. so we've learned more about it. Lament's always been around. It's in scripture and, you know, it's, it's, it is something that is tied to our faith. And so surrender is much the same way too. And I think when you read, uh, what Jesus is, Jesus shared in his teachings, he was teaching about surrender. Right. I mean, when you say, drop your nets and follow me, I'll teach you to be fishers of men, that's surrender. Right. Uh, when you look at the rich young ruler, you say, give up all your possessions and follow me, that's surrender. And that's why it seems in the abstract, because we can never imagine doing that. Hmm. But in in our lives, even in our, our, we tend to make what really is our own simplicity more complex. And when we do that, Surrender becomes much more difficult to understand rather than saying, how do I look at this as a practice?
0: Right. See, I think that's so helpful, too, because I feel like a lot of us feel like we're just one seminar or sermon away from like really, quote unquote, like getting it. And it's just gonna be like a switch. Like now I'm surrendered rather than a a discipline of formation, like a muscle that you have to actually work. Because like you mentioned, the rich young ruler, I always found it fascinating that it says that he went away, but that he went away sad. Like Mm -hmm. he I don't I maybe this is this is just conjecture. Maybe he realized that he wasn't willing, actually. He was sad because he wanted this life with Jesus, but he knew, nah, this thing has just too strong a hold on my life, and I don't—that's part of what I want to ask you coming up next, actually, because COVID, in so many ways, has stripped from us, maybe not control, but the illusion that we ever really had control in the first place, which I think is forcing a lot of us to maybe reconcile some things with our theology and our praxis that we haven't maybe previously thought about. And I think you are in such a unique place, leading a Christian university— fielding, I'm sure, just a a tidal wave of questions and pushback and all that. So I'm going to ask you about that a little bit coming up next here with Dr. Gene Croom, sixth president of Judson University here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is still Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm's name is still Brian Fromm. He is on vacation out gallivanting with his family right now. But he will return tomorrow, and we're super excited to have him back to the show. But in his absence, we have had a whole slew of really wonderful special guests who have uh, never ceased to make me realize how many brilliant, creative people there are in the world, which we hope has been encouraging or challenging or inspiring to the rest of you. And uh, I'm super excited to have for this entire first hour, Judson University President Dr. Gene Kroom. And we're talking a little bit about... Covid and contentment, and what it means to be a godly witness in such uncertain times. But I want to talk a little more specifically about what it's like to lead a university, and not just a university, but a a Christian, an evangelical university, in the midst of all of this. Like, what what has it been like these last four months trying to navigate what the what the best path forward is?
1: Well, I think in some ways, Ian, it, it's a lot like. What everyone experiences, whether you are with your family, whether you run a small business, whether you have a nonprofit ministry, uh, you know, whether you're just an entrepreneur, Hmm. uh, some of the qualities are are consistent amongst all that. Number one, you have to assure people that God's got this. Um, You know, John Piper did a book, which I, a smaller book called uh, Christ and the Coronavirus, which came out in April, May. And World Magazine distributed That's how I got my copy of it.
0: Mm.
1: And Piper talks about the, the same God that allows coronavirus to uh, continue is the same God that's sovereign over all of all things. Mm. That's essentially I'm paraphrasing him. And, mm. and that's what I mean by the surrender part of it. it. It is. I think you had a great lead in a second ago. It's our illusion of control. Mm. And so what we have to do is provide people with spiritual comfort and say, you know, God's got this. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean that we're going to have answers or solutions, but if we just walk faithfully day one, day two, day three, and day four, the next thing you know, you've put a week together. And then you put four weeks together and you got a month and you put three months together and you got a quarter of a year. And and I think that's what God calls us to do is to walk in faith on a daily basis. So it's providing spiritual security to people. Hmm. It's providing physical security by saying, look, here are the things that we're doing to make you safe Hmm. and, and, sharing what they are and detailing what they are, but also doing it in a way that honors people. Our, our protocol at Judson when it comes to our four or five big pieces of how we're handling uh, our return to campus is the first two principles are, number one, you are responsible for your health and you need to clearly articulate what your expectations are to us on mm-hmm. how we can serve you because of that. Number, rule number two is respect other people's perspective on their health.
0: Right. And when you
1: put those two things together, I think that that's so scripturally grounded that, you know, it's, it's to own how God wants us to be. And at the same time, surrender that and serve others because people have wants and needs as a part of that. So it's making people spiritually secure, emotionally secure, physically secure, mm. and then working on your plans. Because if you don't get through those security parts, as we learned through counseling and trauma informed care and things like that, if you don't get through that, it's really hard for people to listen and be fully present to talk about okay where do we go from here
0: right that's so good you you used the word sovereign or sovereignty a little bit ago and i feel like as a pastor maybe close to half of the questions i get have to do with either this word sovereign or providence like if god is all powerful if he's got this you know like you you were saying in his hands what do you, what do you say to the person who's grappling with how, how could God let something like this happen? Or, or where where is God's control or influence in the midst of something so devastating or so overwhelming? How, how do you walk people through those types of questions?
1: Well, that's where the illusion of control comes in. Mm. And the illusion of control begins with that we think we should be privileged enough to know the answers. Mm. And if you believe in an infinite God, God knows why purpose and outcomes and mm. so if you surrender that knowledge to God, then what you focus on is what does God want me to know through this? Mm. And, and how does God want me to serve in the place where God has me? That's what it means to surrender to sovereign authority mm. is that you put your trust, your confidence, your hope in that authority. And in, and in doing so, it really clearly defines your role. And there, there's good versions of that. There's versions of that that challenge us because um, sovereignty has been used for inappropriate purposes. Right. I, at that point, I would argue that's no longer sovereignty. That that at that point is dictatorship. There's mm-hmm. other terms for that. It's like the debate on leadership. When when people say, "Well, wasn't Hitler a leader?" You're like, "No, we got other words to define what he did."
0: Right, right. And, right. and
1: so, sovereignty in, in in the definitions that that I believe honor the real spirit of the term, sovereignty means for the good of. Not for the detriment of, hmm. and so and so when we use it in a scriptural sense, then you know God is sovereign overall. It's for our own good and all of created good.
0: That's good. I, it's interesting too that you mentioned like the the dictatorship end of that because I feel like my experience often is more passivity. Where hey, if God's in control, if God's sovereign, He's got this. Then there is no need for me to love my neighbor. There is no need for me to share Jesus with those that I come in contact, you know what I mean? Cause sort of like, ah, he's got it. He doesn't really need my involvement. And kind of what you're describing is like a, it's a partnership. It's a, it's a bullfand right. that we join God in, in whatever work he's doing in the world. And maybe, maybe the role of leadership is to ask God, where are you in this? Which is so hard when we jump first to the why questions, but God, where are you? I think is such a helpful question. And I, I'd love to know because it comes up on our show a lot. You know, we try to make this a space where people right and left, progressive, fundamental, everything in between can have space to disagree and dialogue. But it feels like almost like as a country, we're getting worse at that in some sense. Like we're more polarized and more divided. And I imagine, you, you know, you're leading this organization. I imagine there are people who disagree with you or disagree with your team, disagree with your decisions. How do, you, how do you navigate all of that monsoon of opinions?
1: Well, number one, um, and, and at times Ian, so I'm, I'm going to answer the question, but just know that 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 that' I'm, a, I'm at times a terrible example of this answer hmm. and And I think that's that's part of the understanding of it as much as I desire to serve and love others. and I, I got my own junk, I got to work through right through the process. so it's suspending me and, and understanding and meeting someone else where they are. and, and at times it's hard. Because, you know, listening is such an important perspective. I, I share with folks all the time from a leadership standpoint that if someone comes in an interview or someone's in a meeting and they say, oh, I'm a really good listener, probably the worst listener. The world. <laughs> because if you really are a good listener, you understand listening is hard and it requires uh, constant, total attention. And only God is a great listener. Right. And so, number one, you have to come as close as you can to put yourself in that position of really hearing what someone has to share mm. because you're not understanding where they're coming from or because you disagree with them. And, you know, like as scripture says, I mean, what is it if we love our friends? I mean, loving our enemies becomes right. the, the test of our true depth and compassion. And, and coming back to our key point here comes our true test of surrender. I mm. mean, if you really want to surrender, you know, be the good Samaritan. Um, and that means meeting people where they are, not where you want them to be. Right. And then that means, you know, surrendering that part of you to serve them where they're, they're at. And I, I share this, uh, with folks and it ends up, you know, being a, a group, a good discussion from time to time, but it's like the word trust for me. I, I think trust can only be freely given mm. and it can't be earned because if you're waiting for, for me to do the things to earn your trust, I am going to let you down because I'm a sinful, mistake-prone human being, mm. and I'm going to let you down. And the second I let you down, it's only up to you to trust me again. Mm. And in some ways, I feel like trust is the closest we as humans come to God's full expression of God giving grace to us.
2: Hmm.
0: That's really good. And I especially appreciate you, you know, sort of owning some of those parts that like for me, even, and I think of like leaders and preachers that have shaped me and that I follow a consistent thread throughout is the willingness to say, I'm not great at this, or I'm not perfect at this, or I have a long way to go. I feel like that's for me, a, kind of kissing cousins with the leaders that I end up choosing to trust actually that are willing to say, man, I'm on this journey too. And, uh, I'm asking for your grace and forgiveness as much as anybody else, which I think is really helpful and I'd love to ask you coming up next a little bit about how can we actually care for students, whether they're students at Judson University or students in general. I feel like you have a really unique perspective there that I'd love to ask you about in ways that we can better care for students as they're navigating you know, this coming fall. And that's a conversation we're going to have with Dr. Gene Kroon coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, usually joined by Brian Fromm. He will be returning from his lovely vacation tomorrow. Real briefly, you can find us though on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcast. I don't think I've even asked once this hour, but I'm going to now. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing to the podcast. I don't know how it works, but I do know that it somehow helps us. And we're super grateful for all of you who have already done that in Brian's absence. We have a whole bunch of really wonderful, brilliant, creative leaders and thinkers who are taking his place an hour at a time. And for this entire hour, we have Dr. Gene Kroom, Judson University's sixth president. If you want to learn more, and I highly recommend that you do, judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu. That's also my alma mater and home away from home. And I'm super grateful for Judson and the community there. And all the impact that I know they've made literally on thousands of people's lives, which is pretty wild to think about. Speaking of Judson, one of the things that we sort of danced around a little bit earlier is what's it like to be a student right now? And I'd love to know from your vantage point, how can we, whether we have students or we just simply know students, how can we better support students this fall as they're having to navigate questions that I'm sure they never anticipated having to navigate?
1: Yeah, you know, we can almost go back to what we talked about earlier uh, in the program, and where um, we, we talked about this. This is a, a once in a multi generational experience that we're going through, and you have to remember that. Right. Uh, you know, for, for many people listening, and uh, me, the world I grew up in, it was, you know, kind of a, you know, suck it up, buttercup, or put a mm-hmm. band aid on it, take a sip of water, and get back in the game right. mentality. Um, and, and there, there's a time and place for that, but you know, we have to understand that, that, that this, is, this is real trauma and stress because it brings so much unknown into people's lives. Mm. And people have lost jobs. People have seen loved ones suffer. Uh, people have lost people because of COVID as well right. as underlying conditions and other medical conditions. And so it creates stress. So step one is understanding that, that this is a real lived experience and adaptability is probably the most important quality than any, any perspective of, quote, you know, of, of trying to, quote, tough our way through this, end quote. And so that's where the reliance on, on God comes in. So when you think about taking care of students, they're going through these same experiences that we're going through it. Um, right. I'm 55. And so, you know, uh, I have a few more years of experiencing ups and downs. So it's applying that learning, but it's also sharing with folks uh, what when the downs hit, what that looks and feels like uh, as God helps us navigate through it. So know that it's real and it's felt be adaptable in how you approach it. Ground yourself in things that, that, that absolutely bring your faith values to life. Wherever you are in your faith journey, your faith walk, ground yourself in those things. We were talking earlier with John, you and I, before the show that, and you alluded to this in the last segment about, you know, Twitter can just become this sort of depressing place right. to go and be. And, right. and the news gets so depressing. And so, so don't listen, don't watch, find more creative outlets for that. Um, my wife, you know, will tease me because I listen to rural radio now on serious radio because hmm. Hmm. how they deliver the news is not like anything else that's on the radio. Now I don't know much about grain futures, but I'm learning. <laughs> um, but it's just a different context. So right. put yourself in those different contexts because you will see that, that a lot of life continues to go on and God finds a way hmm. to help walk alongside of us to guide us through it. So, you know, know that it's real, uh, know that it, it, it you have to be adaptable, know the things that give you value and then keep yourself in those places and move those negative things out of your life. And that's what we try to tell our students here at Judson, stay focused on those things, hmm. which is why for us opening up, uh, it is important because we know from what we learned last spring, that being on campus, in person, that we can care for their health, we can walk alongside of them, but just as importantly, this is a safe place spiritually, this is a safe place academically, and this is a safe place from a community standpoint for those students during the upcoming months.
0: That's really good. You, you were talking, too, about like choosing how often or from what places we actually consume news, and I think it was Michael Hyatt recently, he said, uh, there's a big difference between being informed and being obsessed. and yeah. That that to me hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, we even do a lot of prep for this show and I try very intentionally to draw from a vast array of sources, which is sometimes easier said than done. But I'm always trying I'm always curious about like, okay, that's what this one publication said or this one source. I wonder what the counter argument is. And if I'm not careful, well then I that's a two hour rabbit trail where you're like, okay, now I'm like an investigative journalist trying to get to the bottom of what's really true or where the conspiracy conspiracy is, and I feel like it's made me much more sympathetic to the people that are feeling like, you know what? I'm done with Facebook. I'm just going to delete the whole thing. (laughs) I think two years ago I thought, well, that's a little extreme, but now it's like, that makes sense to me. I, I fully understand that. And, and you also mentioned what I think is so significant. So you're, you're 55, as you mentioned, and that you've experienced a little more than what some of these students have, but you're also still experiencing, you know, similar realities with them. Do you find that, uh, like when you were a college student, were you looking for the, the sage wisdom of people who had gone before you a little bit? Is that like natural to your instinct?
1: Um, is it natural instinct? Great question. I I think it probably is because I grew up in a family of educators. And Mm. so, uh, you know, being a college president, I'm proud because here at Judson, we We set a climate for discussion and dialogue and debate, and we do so in a healthy way. And that gets to your point a second ago about looking for the full story and the whole story and and, you know, not trying to polarize things, but trying to understand things is should be Hmm. the importance of a liberal arts education and in particular a Christian education that's grounded in the liberal arts. So it's understanding thing and seeking God's discernment and that understanding is important. So, yeah, I gravitate to that, which, you know, shapes my career and in who I am as a person. But but also, too, it, it 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 helps look at things in life from different perspectives, like joking around earlier about, you know, the Mustard Museum and Weird Al and <laughs> seeing all the uniqueness in life really helps with your overall perspective. And it pulls you out of the obsessions and, and, and pulls you into just the richness and tapestry of life, because we're we're not all di- we're not all the same. We're different. God right. designed each one of us uniquely, and we should seek the uniqueness in each other. And mm. the more our heart gravitates to that, then the good stuff in Twitter, like you know, you and I were uh, giving kudos to John for his you know his new role, and it was mm-hmm. fun to watch that develop on social media. And we're proud of him from afar, even though we're not in his life every day. And right. that's the redeeming things. Mm. And I think those are the things that. Look for the good in life, and uh, you know what? Christ will show it to you.
0: That's so good. I, I'm noticing a theme too. I feel like the last couple of segments, you've you've been sort of mentioning the significance of really listening to each other. And I think uh, I think it was Paul Tillich who said the first duty of love is to listen. And that that was a really helpful shift for me. That listening isn't just like a good soft skill, or it's good for like career advancement. Like if we're to be a people of love, like you were saying, even for a good liberal arts education should include some debate and dialogue and disagreement, but to do it in love is that's the sweet spot. Like it's not just about uniformity and we all look and talk and act and vote exactly the same, but we can bring all those differences together. And I, I'd love to know like what, what one or two pieces of advice would you give to someone who wants to maybe grow in that area? They maybe have a relative or a neighbor or someone of the church that they, they feel diametrically opposed to, but they want to get better at like creating space for like real meaningful conversation.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is where my, my wife will chuckle because she knows I love to debate. I love hmm. to be in the conversations as do people who worked with me. And, um, you know, the, the most important thing, I think, is if you want to do it with the heart of love, then, then say I love you. Hmm. Say it. Say the words out loud at in the middle of a debate or at the end of the debate, because if you're really fiery about something, the other person's fiery about something, but you see their humanness. And you just say, you know what? I love you, man. No matter where this conversation goes, I'm still going to love you at the end of the path. Uh, Now let's get back to our debate. And it's amazing how that brings a levity to it. But also what you have to do with your internal self to bring yourself to love your neighbor and love your enemy. You have to say it. You have to show it. You have to express it. And um, and so it's an action, Ian. It has to be an action. Because if it doesn't manifest itself, then then it, it makes it more challenging. And then you start to become bitter. And you, it really is an argument, not a debate. So number one, know, know that you do it in a heart of love. And, and number two, as it's going on, ask yourself, am I thinking about what I'm going to say? Hmm. Or am I hearing what they're sharing?
0: Yeah, right.
1: And if you can pause to do that, number one, that's a miracle because people who say they're good listeners don't do that. Right. But people that really want to listen are in the process of doing that. Hmm. And uh, all that stuff takes practice and time. And I I do a great job of messing that up on a daily basis.
0: (laughs) You and me both, man. You're in good company. That other voice you're hearing, by the way, is Dr. Gene Kroom, Judson University president. If you want to learn more, and I recommend that you do, judsonu.edu is where to go. Coming up next, apparently, Dr. Kroom has a story about an astronaut he knew. I'm going to ask him about that. Coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm is normally here. You're probably missing his sweet, sultry voice, but fret not. He returns tomorrow from vacation. We have missed him, but we're super excited that he is soon back. A couple of quick things before we begin our discussion with Dr. Gene Krum. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're just joining us live right now, by the way, go back and listen to the podcast because our conversation all hour with Dr. Croom has been wonderful. If you're not aware, he is the sixth president of Judson University right here in Elgin, Illinois, my alma mater, a wonderful community. If you want to learn more, I encourage you to go to judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu. And uh, Dr. Croom, imagine my surprise when I'm looking at some of these show notes here. And one of them says, uh, I had the pleasure of knowing an astronaut. And I thought, well, certainly, I need to make some time to ask him about that story. So, the floor is yours, sir. What is the story there?
1: Well, it kind of gets into our theme Ian, about hmm. uh, being surprised by life and, and seeing how God works in, in so many wonderful ways. Um, hmm. I'm a graduate, undergraduate at Western Kentucky University. I was the alumni director there, which was a tremendous honor, uh, just a wonderful period in my life and my wife's life. And, uh, with that, we, we presented awards, distinguish the Hall of Distinguished Alumni, and then we recruit people to be on the alumni board. And one of those individuals was, uh, and still is, uh, he is still living today at the age of seventy. Terry Wilcutt. Hmm. Terry's from Russellville, Kentucky. Uh, he is an astronaut, or was an astronaut. He retired from being an astronaut. He was a very accomplished naval aviator and test pilot. And uh, the the humility of having Terry in the room. Is wonderful because uh, you would sit at a meeting and people go around the room and introduce themselves, and of course you've got people with these big titles. I'm a college president, and I'm a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and I'm a I'm I'm a bank president, and I'm a, I'm all these other type of things, and you know, and you get around to Terry, and he's very unassuming, and he would say, um, "Hi, my name is Terry Wilcutt. I'm an astronaut," and everybody else would just be, "That is so cool. That is." That's amazing. And, and so to see everyone else's humility when someone says they're an astronaut because of all the people to go into space. And what's neat about astronauts, if you go to his name's is Terrence Wolcott, if you go to his, his Wikipedia page, they keep track of how much time you spent in space. Really? And, and his time in space is 42 days and five minutes. Now, how many people in our lives can say that? Little to none. I mean <laughs> we're lucky to meet people like that. And so Terry, just by his humility, kinda of taught me what it's like, you know, as other people engage you. Um, you can be an astronaut, spend forty two days in space and be unassuming an and most people will underestimate who you are as a person. And I think that's it's a great testimony for our faith. Let 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 People know us by hmm. uh, who we are as a person, not by all the titles and all the other accoutrements that comes along with it. I and that's important for me as a college president.
0: I love that. I, I'm going to put you on the spot. I did not prep you for this. I know that you are a lover of comedy. I can't imagine that you've seen the Brian Regan bit where he actually talks about a really unassuming restaurant, an uh, uh, unassuming restaurant, unassuming astronaut who is at a restaurant, and they're having dinner. And exactly the scene you described, the people are like boasting about their Salaries and their titles, and he just slowly, after everyone's done talking, just goes, I walked on the moon. And then just <laughs> subtly went back to eating. That's kind of essentially the story that you just told, which is uh, remarkable. <laughs> I like your takeaway there. I think that's really, really good. I yeah, uh, and,
1: and leave it to the company of Brian Regan because I do think he gets those parts of life right, the small moments mm-hmm. that really are big moments. And his humor is brilliant.
0: I completely agree. I actually remember discovering him while I was at Judson University and laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. I hadn't laughed that hard in a a long time. So this is like an unofficial uh, promo for Brian Regan as well. If you're unfamiliar with him, check him out. Another thing, though, Gene, because we only have a little bit of time together on the show. And uh, I I always like to ask guests, particularly guests who are well-read and I know that really value these types of things. What are some of the things you're reading right now? And maybe what are things that you've read in the past that were really formative for you? Like, what are things that you would maybe point people towards? Like, hey, if you like this discussion so far, and you want to learn more, or you want to kind of read from some of the people that helped me kind of form some of these thoughts, what are you reading right now? And maybe what have you read in the past that was really deeply formative for you?
1: Well, um, what I'm reading right now, in addition to just you know general professional reading, uh, I'm reading a very interesting leadership. I read a lot of leadership books. Hmm. Um, this one is called the myth of leader, the myth of the leader. Mm. Uh, It it is a, it, it takes on the leader as hero complex that we have in this country in particular and tries to create a different framework for understanding the leader as a person and accepting all their, their foibles and their nuances and their weaknesses and their strengths. Um, Mm. And he sets up a, a systems Theory case for that, and it's, it's not quite as wonky as I'm describing it, <laughs> but but it's a it's a very intriguing read. But from a secular perspective, um, from a leadership perspective, in terms of a classic, the book "Positive Leadership" by Kim Cameron. Hmm. It's a it's a very thin book. It's well researched. Uh, Professor Cameron, I believe, is at the University of Michigan, and he talks about positive meaning, positive communication, and he 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 layers positive leadership. With all of this research that shows God designed us to to have a positive outlook, and, and that's tough to say because people go through trauma, people go through hardship, and it's not it's not a, a rose-colored glasses perspective. It takes a lot of work to right. do that, as counselors and and uh, people that that do coaching will tell you. And so, but he grounds it in leadership perspectives, and I think every leader ought to read his book, Positive Leadership. And when people ask about leadership, I you know yeah, Scripture. The Bible tells every story about leadership that you could ever think of in every leadership book after that hmm. simply repeats stories and examples and parables that Christ taught us from a leadership perspective. So from a leadership, you know, that's where I read. And like I mentioned at the earlier Eric little tremendous influence, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the disciplines of the Christian life, I think is a very powerful book for believers to read and even non-believers to read just to, to talk about how, how can I put myself in that surrender mindset Hmm. where I'm focused on what God wants me to do today? Not, not what I want my agenda to be.
0: Right. How, how important in your mind is it for leaders to be learners?
1: I, I don't think you can lead without learning.
2: Hmm. Um,
1: I I think that the two go together. I think learning is, is an important characteristic of being a leader because if you're not learning, then we're going to call it something else. We're going to call it micromanagement. We're going to call it a dictatorship mm. because then the negative qualities of leadership, well, the, the, the you lose the positive qualities of leadership if you're not learning all the time and you're not growing as a
0: person. That's a really good answer. And we only have about a minute or so left. But what I would love, if you wouldn't mind, I know that a lot of people who listen are scared or they're uncertain or they're angry. They're maybe feeling hopeful or hopeless. They're disagreeing with family and friends and pastors and churches and leaders and schools and all that. Would you just take like the final minute or so that we have and just speak a word of encouragement to people wherever they're listening from?
1: Absolutely. Um, there, There is a God who loves you hmm. and who cares for you. And if you need someone to share God's love with you, Talk to someone, call Ian, call the station, Mm -hmm. call us at Judson University, because God designed us to be in community with each other. You are not alone. Mm. Uh, People want to walk alongside of you and it breaks our hearts when we find someone who lives in this 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 point of loneliness because we want to be a part of caring for you. Mm. And so just just raise your hand. And I know people may have been wounded in the past, but uh, there are people that want to walk alongside of you. There's counselors, there's pastors, there's neighbors, there's individuals. And uh, God will put it on your heart. You'll raise your hand. You'll mention it. And and we're always surprised, Ian, mm-hmm. how God provides for us in this life. And we should just not be surprised. But that's part of the blessing. That's part of the gift of it is like, oh, God, just thank you. I never saw that coming. And that shows you how majestic the God is that we love and that loves us.
0: Man, that's a good word. Just to say it out loud, Gene, I'm so grateful for you and for your friendship and your leadership and, uh, caring for a place like Judson that I care about so much. Uh, just want you to know how much I appreciate you and value our friendship and appreciate you taking the time to be with us for an entire hour today. It's been a real pleasure.
1: My pleasure too, Ian. And and likewise, thanks for just being a great representative of Judson. Um, we, we love you here and, uh, love listening to you and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Both this and also with your pastoring. I saw the tweet earlier today where someone (laughs) tweeted about uh, a prayer you said. So uh, thank you for letting God work in your life.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. If you're just joining us, that's Dr. Gene Croom, sixth president of Judson University. I cannot encourage you enough. Go visit judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu to learn more. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're speaking to the executive pastor at Soul City Church, Kelly Skiles. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I am normally joined by Brian Fromm. He's on vacation, but fret not. He returns tomorrow. In his absence, though, we have been so grateful to have a whole smattering of really wonderful, special guests who've been sticking around for an hour at a time, which is super generous. And uh, before we begin that conversation, real briefly, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the common good, Instagram and Twitter, Common Good Talk. And I say it all the time, but we're also podcast. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that does magically help us out somehow. We're not really sure how, but we promise that it does. But for this entire hour, though, we'll be joined by Kelly Skiles, who's the executive pastor at Soul City Church in the West Loop right here in Chicago. Kelly, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Ian. This is fun.
0: Uh, it's not, I mean, you don't speak too soon. It might not, no, I have I have a good feeling. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun. Before we kind of get into the weeds a little bit of like church leadership and all of that, uh, would you take a minute or two and introduce yourself to everybody?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm Kelly and uh Most important thing in my life is my family. And so I've been married to my husband, Mark, for 17 years. I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) But we've been married 17 years, and it's kind of crazy. We have three kiddos. uh, We have six-year-old twin boys and a three-year-old daughter. Hmm. And so they uh, fill our life uh, with so much goodness and craziness all at the same time. (laughs) So that's my home team. And then my Soul City team, you know, I get the joy of helping to lead our staff and really point our strategy at Soul City. And it's just this really cool community, diverse group of people, diverse ethnically, diverse in thought, diverse in Hmm. background. Um, And it's a really young church. So that's really unique too, just in terms of, you know, who attends church these days. But 70% of the people that attend Soul City are actually between 20 and And forty, So I am pushing that upper edge right now, Ian. I once was young, and now I'm like an older person at the church. Um, Yeah, and so it's a a great thing. I love being a part of Soul City. It's one of the joys of my life. And another joy of my life is professional basketball. So Mm -hmm. I'm a huge NBA fan. And this uh, COVID, the way it has interrupted my playoff basketball expectations has been quite devastating and so i'm very excited this week nba is back on thursday so one of my best hobbies is watching some games
0: (laughs) as as someone who's also sort of uh pushing the upper edge of your 20 to 40 category there do, do you find it strange like Have you ever caught yourself bringing up a reference to someone that you assume they're going to get? And they're like, I've never heard of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And you're like, I
2: know the struggle is real. You know, I work with a lot of people in their 20s and a lot of people in their 20s attend our church. And so it's like a Hmm. whole they don't know about AOL dial up. You know, that's like not a thing (laughs) they had to endure where you had to like block your phone line to get Mm -hmm. on the computer. Remember those days?
0: What's even a phone line? They don't even know that.
2: I know. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. I try not to date myself too much.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to ask a little bit later about leading in the midst of COVID, but I I am really interested because we interview a lot of pastors. Brian and I are both pastors. So this is a question that we field a lot is uh, it feels like the vast majority of church leaders, not just here in Chicagoland, but across across the country are all at least in some way, shape or form asking, how do we reach the young people? Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's I just hear this question all the time. And clearly Soul City is doing something or multiple somethings right where seventy percent of your church is twenty to forty, like why do you why do you think that is? If if you had to answer,
2: yeah, I, you know when Soul City was launched almost ten years ago now, the wow. mission wasn't like reach millennials. It was kind of like right. whatever God is going to bring, and for whatever reason, God brought you know a lot of young people. When the church started, there was no kids ministry because mm-hmm. there wasn't people with kids. Right, and even right. today, um, even today, we have a small middle school ministry, uh, a brand new high school ministry. And again, it's just because our church is so young. They don't have kids that age. Um, but what's true is that the West Loop is a hub for millennials. There was an article a couple years ago that it was the fastest growing neighborhood that had millennials in it in the country. Wow. And so God just planted us here. And we didn't even know it, that this would kind of become our demographic. So we went to where they were unknowingly. And so it just makes it really easy when we are are literally a place in the neighborhood. People walk by our church all the time. It's not like um, we're back. You know, I worked in churches that are back in, you know, Lots that no one would ever know they're back there, you know, right, but right. we're um, we're on Adam Street in the West Loop. And so people are walking their dogs and their babies and walking to Target. And um, so they see us and, and they're curious and hmm. we get a lot of people just wandering in. And then word of mouth, you know, when you already have a, a core of people that live right here in the neighborhood, of course, they tell their friends. So that's my that's my uh, number one answer. You know, we don't have some strategy to reach young people. And when our, when, when some of our leaders who are in their 20s say to us, like, we need a ministry that's just for us. We say like the whole church is, the whole church is actually, you know what I mean? Like when you look at who's around, it's, it's you guys. So it's really fun.
0: fun. Okay. So I don't want to ask this as a pros and cons because I don't think that's helpful, but I'd love to know what are some of the challenges and some of the opportunities with leading a church that young?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the challenges are that we don't have, it's a, it's both, it's good and bad, you know, yeah. is that we don't have a long list of policies and procedures. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have historical context to look back on, you know, like, well, according to this byline, it says that we do this in this <laughs> circumstance. Right, And, you know, sometimes that might be nice to, to have right. that kind of historical covering of a denomination even you know mm-hmm. we're a non-denominational church so we're unaffiliated um so i would say that's a challenge but mostly i i just think it's awesome you know our mm-hmm. church is just they are so inspired by vision they mm-hmm. are hungry to grow and change um and and they're they're just ready like that that's just the kind of person that is drawn to our church is ready to experience jesus and in new and fresh ways. And so honestly, Mm. I don't see a lot of downsides to it. I see (laughs) more upsides. I see more upsides. I love it. And, and, you know, go go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just saying, that's kind of what drew me to student ministry for those same reasons. That was like my first love. I'm like, these kids are like ready to take the Bible seriously rather than sort of like a pat on the head. Like that was a nice sermon. They're like, okay, well, if everything you said is true, then we should just go do that right now. And like students like haven't had their idealism beaten out of them yet. You know what I mean?
2: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, us being 10 year, almost 10 years into this, and we don't feel like a new church anymore. We feel like, hey, we've been doing this. We created this thing. You know, I wasn't around at the very beginning, but when it was in a living room of just a handful of people. So to be where we're at today with almost 100,000 square feet in Chicago mm-hmm. and a, a mortgage and a staff of over 20, you know, it doesn't feel like... We're this new church anymore.
0: Right, right. And so you mentioned like the mortgage and stuff. Is the financial component? Because I feel like that's sometimes when churches say they want to grow young, that often is like a sticking point for them. We're like, yeah, but uh, young, young people don't have, they don't have the money that we think we need in order for this thing to work.
2: Yeah. You know what we find? There's actually a significant portion of these young people that are giving and I, I don't know that they're giving proportionally, you know, I don't know that they're giving ten percent per se, but mm. um that they're generous. And and also I would say, you know, in, in our culture in twenty twenty, generosity and philanthropy is kind of a cultural norm, right. especially with millennials that want to do good and they see um they see the mission working through how they're giving. Mm. So, you know, one of our commitments is that 10% of our operating budget goes outside the walls of Soul City, you know, for justice and compassion. And so, you know, sometimes that's events that happen at Soul City that are for a community. Sometimes that's money that's going directly to partners. Mm. Um, But that's not being used to turn on the lights. You know, that's not being used for any staff benefit. That's really being used to serve our community. And so I think... That, too, the way they see us respond when things come up Hmm. um, instills trust in them that, you know, this is a place that they want to be a part of the mission, not only in attendance, but with their finances, too. And then, you know, we also have some folks that aren't millennials that are, you know, that have been walking with Jesus for years and years Hmm. and years. And generosity is just a part of the way that they are discipled and the way that they participate in the work of the church. So a both and.
0: I love that. That other voice you're hearing, by the way, is Kelly Skiles. She is the executive pastor at Soul City Church in Chicago. You can learn more, and I recommend that you do at soulcitychurch.com. That's soulcitychurch.com. And she's sticking around for the entire hour. And I figured, why not ask her next about how leading a church in the midst of, of a pandemic has been for them? That's coming up next year on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <music> Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is still Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm. He returns tomorrow from sailing the ocean blue or whatever he was doing, and uh, we miss him. We're grateful that he got a chance to be away, and we're glad that he's returning tomorrow. In his absence, though, we got a bunch of really wonderful special guests. Before I continue my conversation with Kelly Skiles of Soul City Church, real briefly, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post articles. You can send us a message. We're also a podcast, if you wouldn't mind, taking just... It's like 36 seconds, roughly. Just subscribe, rate, and review. That all does really help us out, and it helps the show out a whole ton, and we're really, really grateful for those of you who have done that. Kelly Skiles is the executive pastor at Soul City Church in the West Loop of Chicago. You can learn more at soulcitychurch.com, and we've been talking about what it's like to lead a young church, and now I want to talk a bit about what it's like to lead a church in the midst of a pandemic. You guys are in Chicago. I'm out here in Naperville. So in some ways, it feels similar. In other ways, it feels like, they might as well be different planets at times. Yes, What's yes. it been like for you particularly leading a church where you're at?
2: Hmm. It's been challenging. I mean, there, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm someone that loves a challenge. You know, right. that's my personality. Like, give me a problem, the bigger, the better. Mm-hmm. And it has been challenging. It has been taxing. It's been exhilarating. You know, it's it's been a mixed bag. And Right in March, when we had our last gathering in person uh, for 2020, we were in the middle of a capital campaign that I had been working on for a year and a half prior. And so we were in, we had just wrapped week three of a six week series, and that was going to be kind of the culmination of, you know, years of dreaming and planning of next steps for our church and the dream of two new church plants. And building on our building here, a house of hope. Um, and so in the beginning, um, we were thinking, okay, maybe for three or four weeks, we have to be back by Easter. Surely the mayor will make sure that we can go back to church by Easter, you know? Right. right. And so it was so cute of us to, to <laughs> do that. Just so sweet. Um, and in the beginning, I just was mourning. I was just grieving this dream that what we had worked on for so long was not mm. going to be coming to fruition in the way that we thought it was going to be anyway or in the season right. we thought it was going to be. So in the beginning, I would say just so disoriented um, and disappointed, you know, honestly, just really disappointed. Right, right. But then thinking about, okay, how do we meet people where they're at? And also, this is such an opportunity that people are open to the gospel in new ways. You know, they might, be, they probably don't even know that term, open to the gospel. Right. They're right. open to Jesus, but there's something about shared communal suffering, which I think we're all in, in, in various degrees, that mm-hmm. makes people open. And so that part has been super exciting and watching our team i just have to brag on the staff team of soul city church because they have innovated and iterated and done it again Mm. stayed up late and gone back to the drawing board i mean it just to watch them has just filled my soul they they've been incredible they've just been incredible Mm. um we right before COVID, i hired a brand new family pastor and he started like week four of quarantine. And so oh, this guy moved his family across the country from Oregon. Can you imagine this? Two kids. Oh, man. Um, to start a job in a city where church is nothing like it was when he interviewed. Right. And so trying to onboard someone new to the team while we're all on Zoom, uh, was it was wild. It was wild. I mean, we, we definitely found a path. And now uh, we're back in the office, and so that's that's even shifted some. But it's it's been wild. But so many good things have come out of it. You know, we have brought our level of care for our community into a whole new realm than it's never been in before. And I'm so proud of that.
0: That's awesome. I think what I appreciate most about what you just said too was the disappointment. I feel like sometimes churches' Achilles' heel is just to always put on this like hyper positive front, like we're positive. We know where we're going. We're trusting God. And and while that might be the case, the pastors that I'm talking to, at least in the privacy of like a one-on-one conversation, have shared the same stuff. Like I'm discouraged because we are leading towards this. We're planning on this. And then after the discouragement, sometimes and it often comes like the disorientation. Like now I just don't know how to navigate. Like Mm -hmm. all the books that I've read the last year (laughs) that I thought would prepare me to lead a church well – yeah. Don't seem to really apply to this circumstance. And I, yeah. I appreciate it. My...
2: Global pandemics, you know, right,
0: right. Of course. Like, how do you even how do you even plan for that? And I think, you know, Brian and I mentioned like the beginning of it, it almost was like an adrenaline rush. It was like, OK,
2: mm-hmm.
0: let's figure this out. I'm, I'm like you. Let's take this problem and pick it apart and come up with something. And then after, you know, month three or month four, you're like, I just miss people like have you have you had to feel some of that from your people from your oh community Like, seeing you guys
2: oh my gosh i i that you know one of the things that i have said over these last few months is like the one of the reasons i feel called to ministry is because i love being with people i don't right. love doing communion to a camera you know like right. i did not get into this because i thought i was some hollywood uh bigwig here <laughs> i got into it because i love being with people uh-huh. and so even um you know what makes me sad sometimes is thinking of people that I haven't seen or even thought of in months. Because mm. you know, there's a lot of people at a church, and I'll go, "Oh my goodness, this person! I want. I wonder how they are. You know, I, right. I I wonder what they're doing right now. I want, you know, if they're not in particular connected to a ministry or a serving role or something, they were just someone that I saw on Sundays. So there's been oh, so much, so much grief and missing each other in that. We had. Uh, a volunteer here yesterday who's on our culinary team. So one of the geniuses of soul city is that if you volunteer on a Sunday, we have a culinary team that makes hot breakfast and lunch. Wow. And this is like, Good food. This is you want to eat seconds and thirds type of thing. <laughs> I love it. And so uh, one of our volunteers, she was here yesterday cooking for a staff gathering, and I was like, "Oh, this feels a little normal. Like you're here. This is where you usually are. You love to be in the kitchen, you know." Right. Um. So yeah, that has just been such a grief just to miss people, even if you see them online on Zoom. Which you know, I see a couple of different groups of people on Zoom. There's nothing like just being with each other. Right.
0: hundred percent. We were, we just had a staff thing for the first time in a long while. And we, you know, we chose the biggest room in the building and everyone had seats like in the far corners wearing masks. And I was like, it's good to see you. Uh, this still feels weird. Like, there yes. was a certain yes. kind of like this isn't quite, this is better than zoom, but yeah. not, not this. Like I even posted on Facebook yesterday. I said something like, what do you miss most about a pre COVID world? And I was like really humbled how many people were like, I just miss our community. Like I miss our church. It yep. was like a very, it was like heartwarming and heartbreaking, you know? And I feel like you as an executive pastor, I'm sure, are feeling the weight of a lot of that.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even as we look to our future, you know, right. we, we're not returning to church anytime soon. We we don't have any magical date of like, oh, guys, wait, wait till you hear the big announcement, you know? Right, right. Um, The city of Chicago is so different than the suburbs in that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Soul City is not set up for social distancing in any stretch of the imagination. You know, we're a city church with a a tight footprint. So to not to not have that on the horizon, is hard. So what we're trying to do right now is think, okay, how can we think small? How do we get some of our teams here, some of our groups here so that we can have just little pockets of connection whenever we can? That's so good.
0: And you mentioned a little earlier, too, that some of the things you're strategizing towards about loving your neighbor and giving back and reaching out. And one of those is called Meals of Hope. And I'm going to ask Kelly about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. We missed you. Glad you came back. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm. He will return tomorrow. Fret not. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can common good radio show there you'll see our uh, illustrated mask wearing faces and you can send us messages you can comment on articles we share you can also find the podcast wherever you get podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify those are the only two that i know of because i'm not cool enough to know more but subscribing rating and reviewing on any of those platforms does help us out a whole ton in brian's absence though and i'm i've just been blown away by our guests i'm so grateful that they've given us so much of their time and all our we have executive pastor at soul city church in Chicago. Kelly Skiles. And she's been talking about not only leading a young church, leading a church in the midst of a pandemic, all the uncertainty, but all the really, I guess, all the opportunity as well. And one of the things I want to ask you about is a uh, it's an endeavor on your part called Meals of Hope. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing there.
2: Yeah, so right away we knew that we wanted to just really practically and tangibly meet people where they're at. And, you know, when life gets chaotic, the last thing you want to do is, well, the last thing I want to do, I should say, is like think about what I should be eating and then cook it. Now, you can tell, obviously, (laughs) I'm not someone that cooks food, I just eat food. And so uh, we had a donor come to us and say, you know, I would love to pay um, to have you know, some meals prepared by a restaurant every week. So that way we can support a local restaurant in these mm. times when they're not getting a lot of business and we can bless our community. And so every Thursday we uh, our distribution site for these meals and some people pick them up and other people have their meals delivered by some mm. of our volunteers. Wow. Um, but over the last, I mean, a couple months of COVID, we have uh, we have fed people in our church that have just been sick. We have fed, uh, you know, first responders. We continue to feed essential workers. This week we're serving um, some folks that work for DCFS. We've done floors of the hospital. And one of the things that's been so cool is at the beginning, it was all referrals from our staff. You know, who do you know at Soul City, that right. could use this, appreciate this. And that went on for maybe two weeks. And then we're like, okay, we gotta expand beyond that. So then we went to the people of our church and said, Hey, who do you know that could benefit from this? You know? And so mm-hmm. there are so many people that are just circles and circles removed from Soul City that are being blessed with a meal every week. And, you know, one week we did single parents. And so I have two good friends in my life that are moms that are not a part of soul city. They don't live in Chicago Hmm. and people from our church drove out to the suburbs to where my friends live and Bowling Brook and Bloomingdale and delivered meals uh, to them, which how, you know, as someone obviously that has a really vested interest in this, these relationships, I was just so blown away by our church that, you know, obviously it's it's not just for soul city people. So it's not, uh, it's, it's not for a, for marketing or getting our name out there it's just for being the church yeah and this last week are the most amazing story from a woman that does not attend our church and somehow heard about meals of hope and one of our practices every week is that our volunteer teams who are kind of preparing these meals they write a note that goes inside of each meal you know and sometimes it could be just like hope you're having a great day. Or sometimes it's a Bible verse, but this woman would get a meal every week. And the piece that she was looking forward to most was the note wow. because she felt like God was talking to her specifically hmm. through this note. And so uh, this one driver this is a volunteer from our church said would love to help was driving meals all over the city. And she dropped it off at this woman's house and just was able to chat with her. And the woman said, you know, the part that I look forward to every week is actually the note And uh, Hannah is the name of this volunteer during the conversation, realized that this woman didn't have a Bible. And so took it upon herself to send her a Bible, you know, in the mail. And that's just the kind of stuff that, you know, we didn't structure that. We didn't say, Hannah, you send a Bible to anyone that doesn't have a Bible. It's just people being led by the spirit Mm -hmm. um, to love one another really greatly. And so, yeah. So then, this woman, you know, sent us this note saying, "You're not going to believe this. I've been getting food, and then I met this girl, and she sent me a Bible, and like, I think God might be real. You know, like, wow. man, if, if that's all we do in this season, like to me, that is winning. Like that, that's what we want to be about. You know, yeah. is loving people that are hurting um, in a way that the Father would love them. So, yeah, I, love that.
0: I, I imagine too as a leader to like to hear stories about people from your team, like thinking proactively or allowing themselves to be led by the spirit in those ways we're like, we couldn't have even thought this up. That's nowhere in our like game plan. That's just God showing up and showing off. You're like, okay, that's if, if that's, and that's why I think the churches that are, are really uh, recognizing that, that like we have an opportunity to connect with people, to love people in a way that maybe we've never had, at least not in my Mm -hmm. lifetime. Like the circumstances Mm -hmm. are so unique. I want to make sure to ask, by the way, before the segment ends, where can people go to learn more about Meals of Hope if they want to help or participate or give in any way? Like, is there somewhere
2: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to soulcitychurch.com um, and to the care section of our website, you can learn about giving to Meals of Hope and how mm-hmm. to be a recipient um, is somewhere on that care site as well. Oh,
0: that's awesome. I'm curious, like you're, you're pretty steeped in like church world and church work. What are some of the other things that you see churches doing as a sort of effort to, to give back or to serve their communities? Are there other things that you're seeing churches do? You're like, Oh, that's a good idea. Or that was pretty innovative. Or like, oh man, I'm glad that I'm glad they're doing it.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's been interesting to watch the waves over the last couple months. You know, I feel like there's been a couple different movements of churches doing different things. Mm -hmm. Um, my, a friend of mine pastors at a suburban church and in the first month of COVID, they called every single person in their database. And wow. this is like not a small church. Wow. And I was so impressed, like old school, got on the phone. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't remember the last time I called somebody, you know, <laughs> and their staff like literally divvied up the names and called people and yeah. just checked on them. Like to me, that is so inspiring. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the way that churches are having a presence in their communities and not being so insular, focused on their Sunday worship; those are the places that are really encouraging to me. Yeah. Specifically during, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, during this whole movement of racial justice that we're seeing rise up this new this new wave of the movement, the churches that are being bold and not just. Uh, Doing an Instagram post about it, but really teaching Mm -hmm. people about the theology of what it means to all be one in Christ Jesus and just try to help them unpack some of what that looks like, Hmm. um, I I just think is really great.
0: Now, do you you think that this shift, because I'm seeing the same thing out here in the suburbs, actually. There seems to be this shift away from the insular to really putting flesh and bone, hands and feet on like, all right, if we're going to love our neighbor, this might involve more than just simply praying for them or doing something, you know, to actually really embody it, to incarnate it a little bit. Do you think that that, that shift is going to last or is that in your mind, something that's happening only right now because of our present circumstances?
2: You know, I would say for the, for the demographic, demographic of people at our church, uh, they don't buy it without it. Like we don't, we don't, we don't yeah. have a church without that. You know, I think, the the people that attend our church are are looking for something more. They're they're looking for something more just than thoughts that sound good at a certain mm-hmm. time or something to just help them a certain time of their life. They're they're looking to be a part of the greater good. They're looking to be a part of the kingdom being realized. They might not have those words for it, but mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know who said this, but I so resonate with the quote that. You know, justice is the apologetic of this generation. Mm. And that just so resonates with me, you know, of, of standing up for those that don't have a voice and standing in the gaps for people that need support and help.
0: Yeah, that's so. I think of Cornel West who said something like, "Justice is what love looks like in public." That's that's been one that's always kind
2: of resonate
0: with me. Which is a perfect segue, by the way, because you mentioned it a little earlier. I want to ask you coming up next some of how you're navigating as a church some of this racial unrest, some of this racial reconciliation conversations that so many of us are having many, many for the very first time. I'm going to ask about that coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. We are on the home stretch, the final segment of the day, but fret not, you can always find the podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. You can go to the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. We post stuff there that we're not even talking about on the show just to create a space for dialogue, for debate. We would love for this show to be a space where we can create, you know, meaningful conversation with people that we maybe don't necessarily agree with or vote the same or believe the same. And uh, in Brian's absence, actually, I've been super, super grateful for a number of really wonderful friends who have stepped in in his absence. And just to say it out loud, Kelly, I am super grateful for your friendship and your leadership and your church as a whole. I think you guys are doing some incredible work. And even just from afar, I've admired you guys for a long time. And uh, I am really Thank grateful you. for you taking the time just to share with us for a little bit. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. You, you would you had mentioned a little earlier um, some of the stuff that, especially in the city, this is where some of the city suburb stuff is pretty drastically different, at least in terms of how it's lived out, I think, in the public square. But uh, you mentioned that you've been navigating with your staff and your church a lot of the racial unrest that you've been experiencing and that we've been experiencing as a nation, as a world. And I'd love to know, what what has that journey been like for you guys?
2: Yeah. Man, it felt like a second wave of trauma, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, after the murder of George Floyd, after watching the riots, Break out in our city, in mm. our neighborhood. You know, we weren't talking about some faraway land. We were talking about the Seven Eleven, uh, Kitty Corner from us. You right, know, right? Uh, it, it was like a, another punch. Like, oh my goodness, what is going on? So we quickly uh, pivoted our teaching series and uh, did a series called "Enough Is Enough," and it was specifically about proclaiming what it looks like for us to be an anti-racist church and, Mm. you know, invited some guests and friends of Soul City with some really prophetic words and challenges. It was so good. And as you can imagine, there were people that were so encouraged that we were doing that. Yeah, and right. there are people that were not thrilled that we were doing that and we're just ready to um, get back to kind of church as normal and to not really talk about this. Right. And so, you know, that that's just a real thing of life and ministry and people and where people are at. Um, but I would say some of the things I've been most encouraged by is, you know, one of the weeks of this series we interviewed Latasha Morrison, who wrote this amazing book called "Be the Bridge," mm-hmm. and it's, it's all about you know bridging the gap and starting the conversation about racial equality. And we interviewed her, talked about her book, and then a donor paid for anyone who wanted a free book from Soul City to get one. Wow! And so we gave 400 "Be the Bridge" books out, and then started a book club in June where 50 people are having a more candid conversation about what this looks like. And that has just been so cool to watch people from our church um, get so excited about what God is calling them to in this season and for the rest of their life to walk out. You know, this isn't just like a one-time series for us, right? Um, but we're now talking about, man, what does this look like for us to have, have this work embedded in our curriculum for transformation. You know, that this is actually part of discipleship. This isn't like an asterisk on the end. If you're passionate about that, or um, if you have a friend of a different race, this is like, no, to be a follower of Jesus means radical inclusion and equality and seeing all people as made in the image of God. And something that's been personally challenging for me in this season is this group, uh, called the Whiteness Intensive, and this is based on Latasha Morrison's work. Hmm. Uh, her company, they have a, you know, a, a, a thing that's just for white folks to learn and have the conversation. And so, me and a small group of white folks from Soul City Church on Sunday mornings <laughs> are digging deep uh, into what it means to be white. And mm-hmm. white culture, and some of the things we grew up believing that we didn't even know we believed—that was right. just kind of a part of the air that we breathe of white mm-hmm. supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so it has been so eye-opening for me. And I don't consider myself someone new to this conversation. You know, right. I don't know if you've ever been down uh, to Mississippi to visit Dr. Perkins. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of his work down there. A couple, I took a Judson team down there in 2008, and. Toured the Civil Rights Museum, and you know, was was educated so much about the history, the history of our country, and my heart was broken. And yet, it's like, oh gosh, I still have so far to go. Yes, right. So I have just been so humbled, and many times feel inadequate, and even you know, co-leading our own family and our own kids to grow up in a way that they don't have overt implicit bias, you know, that they, that we are um, continually teaching them what equality looks like and, you know, exposing them to friends and leaders and teachers that look like all different, all different types of people. And Mm. um, yeah, so it's been, it's been really humbling. I'm I'm proud of what we've done and we have so far to go. We have so far to go. And, you know, so there have been people in our church, too, that have said, listen, um, you know, I, I didn't like the way that this was done. And you could have done this better And right. some of the people of color, you know, from our church have lovingly called us out in such good ways that have been challenging and heartbreaking for me because I want to get it right all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to be hurt by our church. I want yes. people to say this place is only awesome, but that's just not the truth. Right. <laughs> that's not the truth. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So we're humbled to be in the place we're at and we have so far to go, but this is, this is not something that's going away for us. Um, mm-hmm. This is not just like a blip on the screen of summer 2020 right. and it's cost us, you know, any, any time that you make declarations like that, mm-hmm. I was at a meeting today where um, our communications director said, after um, you know, we did our series. We lost one thousand subscribers to our email list. No kidding. Yes, yes.
0: Wow.
2: Uh, so it's just uh, it's it's wild. I don't know how else to describe it.
0: My goodness, you know, after after George Floyd on this show, Brian and I both felt really convicted. We're like, okay, we're two white suburban male pastors. We need to take a back seat here as much as we possibly can. So. We just kind of put out an APB and tried to interview like as many people of color, leaders, pastors, thinkers, authors, whatever as we could, and just assume a posture of like lament, listen, learn. And it was really humbling. I mean, it was there were some segments where like I almost ended with tears in my eyes, not just simply because of the heartache, but because of how much I just didn't know, like you were saying, like the water that we just swam in. And one of the questions that I I often ask them that I want to ask you as we kind of wrap up, because I feel like this is a common, it's a common debate where someone says, and maybe you have even heard this, maybe you, maybe you feel this at Soul City. Why are we talking about racism? Why are we talking about racial reconciliation? We should just be preaching the gospel. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you say to to that particular question?
2: Ooh, I would say it is preaching the gospel. Well, <laughs> I would come say, on, Shelley, come on, this is the gospel, right? I mean. The Gospel is that that people were created in God's image and that we serve a God of truth and love and justice. Come on and man, so many times we have held the banner of unity over justice and in a way that has continued to keep people down, specifically people of color down for the sake of unity. you know, mm-hmm. why why are they doing this? We need to all be of one mind. And man, I, I think the picture of unity is biblical and beautiful, but not at the sake of justice. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is the heart of the God. I mean that that's what Jesus was—our justice, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that is what we are to—we're to be ambassadors of justice. And when we feel ignorant about things, you know, my mantra is we, we got to take do the next right thing, even if we don't right. know the next twelve steps to take the next right step. And I, I don't think, I can't think of anything more gospel centered mm-hmm. than to help to, to pursue justice in the way that you know how to do that.
0: See, that is how you end a radio show. Kelly dropped <laughs> dropping the mic on the common good. If you're just joining us, by the way, go back and listen to the podcast. Both of our guests today have been phenomenal. Kelly Skiles is the executive pastor at soul city church In the West Loop of Chicago, you can learn more at soulcitychurch.com. That's soulcitychurch.com. We love you all at Soul City. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Ian. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.